Bible Church, and, and Merry Christmas. Yes, it is that time of the year. It is already here, and man, I love Christmas, one of the most favorite times of the year, if not the most favorite time of the year. As a matter of fact, our house has been decorated since before Thanksgiving. You can boo or cheer, whatever you'd like. Uh, we have been listening to Christmas carols and Christmas songs, and they've been playing in our home and in our car, and, and, and presents have begun to be wrapped, and, and it's truly the most wonderful time of year for us. And for those of you who may be visiting with us this morning or you're new to fellowship, my name is George Olmstead, and I serve as one of the pastors here on staff, and I have the privilege of kicking off our Christmas series this morning, which is entitled Arrival, Discover the One Birth That Offers You New Life. So our text this morning is in Luke 1. If you want to take your Bibles or your phones and turn there to verse 26 through 38, that's going to be our text. And we're going to answer this question this morning. How do you respond when the impossible becomes possible? How do you respond when the impossible becomes possible? Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you get excited when you receive a birth announcement? Are you that kind of person like, whoo, somebody else has been born, yay? Well, we should be. That's a good thing. But uh, whether you're excited about receiving that announcement or not, guess what? The person who sent it to you is the most excited about that birth announcement, right? They are announcing that, uh, man, <clears throat> my child is here. And if you look on the screen, this is uh, a few of the pictures that we use to announce the birth of our daughter, Gabrielle Elizabeth, over six years ago. As a matter of fact, we announced our birth to family and friends and, and really to anyone who would listen. Uh, we announced it by sending out cards as well as posting it on social media. And guess what? I just want you to know the truth. We did not care if you wanted to hear about her. We were going to tell you anyway. Why? Because she's our daughter and she's the most precious girl in the entire world. And those of you with daughters may feel differently and yours may be the most precious and that's great. But in that moment, we were announcing to the world, Gabrielle is born. Birth announcements are not anything new. And as a matter of fact, in our text in Luke chapter 1, we get to discover a birth announcement unlike any other. A birth announcement that is unique in that it would provide hope and a new life for all who would believe. So here's what's going to happen. As we dive into our text this morning, we're going to uh, enter into the ancient city of Nazareth. And, and God begins to fulfill the promise of the coming Messiah. And he does this by announcing the birth of Jesus when he sends Gabriel, the angel, to appear to a young girl named Mary. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and it reads this. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, it is super important for us to, to note the timeline that Luke uses here. The, the sixth month that he uses is not speaking of the sixth month of the yearly calendar, but instead it speaks to the sixth month into Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist. Who is this Elizabeth? Well, Elizabeth is the cousin of Mary who, was, who had been barren for many years. As a matter of fact, you go read Luke chapter 1 uh, all the way through verse 1 through 25. You'll hear the story of Elizabeth and Zacharias. And, and if you remember correctly, uh, Zacharias, the husband of Elizabeth, he, he doubted the angel Gabriel when he told Elizabeth 
that he would become preg- that she would become pregnant. And he doubted this due to her age. She was older in years. And, and here's what the Lord did. He muted Zacharias, not able to speak until his son, John, was born. So this same Gabriel, this same angel Gabriel who visited Zacharias is who we read of here in verse 26. The Lord has sent him to announce the birth of Jesus to Mary. And so Gabriel appears, we know at least three times to people throughout the scriptures. He appears to Daniel, to Zacharias, and to Mary. And his name means God is great. And he's known as the angel of annunciation. So he is going to make very important announcements. So God sends Gabriel to, uh, to, to Nazareth. Uh, it's a very small town. It's an insignificant town in lower Galilee. And he sends him there to announce the birth of his son to Mary. So we learn in verse 27 that Mary is a virgin. She's engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, both being descendants of David. And it's important to note here that, that Mary is somewhere between the age of 12 and 15. She's a virgin and she's engaged to Joseph. Now, let's not perk our ears up. That's normal in that culture of the day. This is when uh, women would be betrothed, they'd engage, and they would, they would be taking those steps towards marriage. And so Mary is in her right place and uh, she is a virgin and she's on her way to being married. Now, this engagement that she's in with Joseph, it was legally binding. And, and so having sex outside of marriage would be considered adultery in this engagement. As a matter of fact, that would lead to divorce. And the only way out of any engagement in that time was via divorce. So the last thing we see in verse 28 is this. Gabriel announcing himself to Mary when he states, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Man, that's beautiful salutation. He's very intentional in letting her know that she had been chosen by God through his grace. And, and Mary had no special holiness nor, nor merit that privileged her for this task. As a matter of fact, God simply just chose a very insignificant, normal, everyday girl from a very insignificant town to carry and give birth to the most significant person ever to be born, his son. God had a very specific plan to carry out his promise, and he chose Mary to accomplish it. So after Gabriel appears to Mary, our text continues, and and we see the anxiousness of Mary. Let's read that together in verse 29. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. I I would bet that all of us would find ourselves reacting with anxiousness in this situation. I mean, think about it. An angel appears out of nowhere, begins a conversation with you, and tells you, listen, you're favored by God and he is with you. Response, probably, um, okay, thanks. Maybe a little more information is needed here, right? Well, that's where Mary finds herself. She's perplexed and she's processing this in real time and she's attempting to figure out what this is all about. And 
in, in her culture, men didn't really address women and, and angels didn't make it a habit of addressing women. And, and at the same time, she's humbled by Gabriel's words. I am favored and the Lord is with me. That is a humbly moment. Now, Gabriel picks up on Mary's anxiousness and attempts to bring a calmness to her by saying, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. Gabriel simply looks at Mary and says, take a deep breath. Understand I'm here for a specific reason. There's no need to be afraid. Actually, quite the opposite. You have found favor with God. Here's that humbling moment once again. And in this moment, we see the sovereignty of God at work. Mary has done nothing to gain favor with God. She's not anyone out of the ordinary. She's a simple woman who had been chosen by God to carry out his promise to send the Messiah to rescue his people. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for favor used here is haras, which means undeserved, unmerited grace from God. Do you realize those of us who have repented of our sin, placed our faith in Jesus Christ, God's grace has been bestowed upon us? We've experienced this unmerited favor, this undeserved grace. This morning, Mary finds herself a little anxious. And Gabriel says, do not be afraid. You have found favor. And I just want us to really focus for a second as Gabriel speaks a deep, calming truth. God has this. He's in control. You have no need to fear. Have you found yourself in different places at different times needing to hear this same thing? Don't be afraid. God's got it. And this is exactly what Mary needed to hear in this monumental moment. Gabriel, he appears to Mary. She finds herself anxious. And then Gabriel does what he came to do. And we now get into the, to the meat of this passage. In verse 31 to 33, we see the announcement of Jesus. Gabriel reveals to Mary why he is there and, and what she has been chosen to carry out. It reads in verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. In this moment, Gabriel says, let me tell you about the Son of God. Let me share with you who he is, what he is going to do, and how long he will do it. And so he starts out with Mary. You will become pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. Right there in that moment, it begins to resonate with Mary. Melissa read Isaiah 7, 14 this morning. 
conceived by a virgin. You'll give birth to a son. In just a moment, we're going to see the response of Mary to this, but, but this is the moment God provides the birth announcement of his son, the, the promised one, the Messiah, the one who will came, come to save the lost, the one who will come to rescue the sinner. It's this birth announcement that is preparing the way for Jesus' birth. Now think about that for a second. The picture I used as an illustration earlier with Gabrielle was the actual announcement that she had been born. But before she was born, I'll never forget how Sarah revealed to me and prepared the way for the birth of our three children. I will just be uh, pretty transparent here. None of our children were, were planned to be conceived at the time they were. So every time Sarah shared with me she was pregnant, it was all a legitimate surprise, all right? So with Drew, our oldest, a simple positive pregnancy test was wrapped in a box with a note. And man, that was our firstborn. I received that joy with celebration and we were excited and, and scared at the same time. But man, we are going to have a child. And then there was Thad. And, and Sarah and I thought we might be pregnant, but it was really wasn't really lining up with our timeline. So in all honesty, I was hoping mm, maybe we're not pregnant. And uh, I had to take a trip out of town. And my dad was actually on that trip with me. Uh, and we were in California. We we're going to a church conference. I just saw him. He's here this morning. So he's from out of town. So good to see you, dad. All right. So he was on that trip. And I remember calling Sarah and saying, hey, are you are you pregnant? She's like, no, I'm not. And I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> and then I get home and there's another box with a little surprise in it. Now, I want you to know my wife did not lie to me. She took a test and it was negative. And then somehow one became positive. <laughs> Leave that up to the Lord. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be honest with you. I was pretty... I had a pretty jerky reaction in my, I had gone from thinking, oh, we got, well, we're not. To, oh my goodness, we are like, you lied, I can't believe it. And I'd stolen the joy in that moment from my wife, even for myself. But after many apologies, man, and, and, uh, and, and accepting God's plan, I was thrilled to welcome Thaddeus. And then with Gabrielle, as many of you know this, because I've shared it, Sarah and I really found ourselves in a difficult spot in our marriage, and, and finding out we were pregnant brought, brought a lot of, of different emotion. However, we, we did find out that Sarah was pregnant, and here's how we found out. She was, we were at Dave and Buster's. We had flown back into L.A. to go home, and we went to Dave and Buster's just to relax with the kids, and she's on this simulator, and she's being thrown all around, and she gets off and goes, I'm very nauseous. I think I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, we better get a test. And so we did. And guess what? She was pregnant. So we, 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 we figure all this out. And we found out Gabrielle was on the way. We, we both committed to working through our issues. And the Lord has healed us in so many ways. And, and I tell you this story is because when, when the birth announcement is preparing the way for pregnancy, it, it brings a, a pretty big to-do list to be ready for when that baby is born. And, and that's what we see right here. Gabriel is announcing the birth 
of God's son. And Mary, here's how you're going to play in that role. But let me tell you who he is and why he's coming. And he says, Mary, you will name him Jesus. Yahweh saves. Yahweh is salvation. There's purpose in that name. There's salvation in his name. But not only would you name him Jesus, Jesus will be great. Spurgeon said this about the greatness of Jesus. Is it not proven to us that he is great? Conquerors are great, but Jesus is the greatest of them. Deliverers are great, but Jesus is the greatest of them. Liberators are great, but Jesus is the greatest of them. And saviors are great, but Jesus is the greatest of them. Boy, there is such truth to the greatness of Jesus. Others have said this, he is great in the perfection of his nature. He is great in the grandeur of his offices. He is great in the splendor of his achievements. He is great in the numbers of those he rescues. And Jesus is great in the estimation of his people. His name will be Jesus. He will be great. And Gabriel goes on to proclaim he will be called the son of the highest. Here we are, folks. He is the son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's fully God. He's fully man. And it's his divinity that makes him great. It's his divinity that differentiates him from the prophet of the highest, his forerunner, his cousin, John the Baptist. Gabriel says, Mary, he will not only be your son, but most importantly, he is the son of God. Boy, let it be, let there be no mistake who Jesus is. You will call him Jesus. His name will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And we've, we've touched on his lineage that flows from David earlier in the passage. But, but Jesus is the new David. He's the king over all of Israel. He is prophesied as the Messiah to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And he was handed the rightful authority to the rule over Israel. So not only will he be given the throne, but Gabriel goes on to say he will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. That house of Jacob is a traditional term used to describe Israel and, and Jesus will reign over them forever. What an awesome promise that is being fulfilled in this little town of Nazareth as Gabriel proclaims who Jesus is to Mary. But you know, he doesn't stop there. He says his kingdom will have no end. The kingdom of Jesus will never end. Gabriel leaves no stone unturned as to who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the one who will come to seek and to save the lost. The one who will bring victory and the one who will have no end. And if that doesn't fire you up this morning, I don't know if anything else will. Because that is the name, that is the person, that is the Jesus who stepped out of heaven to become 
God in flesh. This is the birth announcement that the Jews have been waiting on. And here in Luke, it is announced loud and clear. We cannot miss this. The birth of Jesus is right around the corner. Hope is coming. New life awaits. And this announcement, it's given to a a young girl in a little town who, although is not to fear, she still has one more question. We find Mary's ask in verse 34, and it states, now get it, Mary, Mary doesn't, she gets right to it. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? That's a pretty big detail, isn't it? So Gabriel, one small detail. I'm a virgin, I'm engaged, I'd like to stay that way. How's this going to happen? Now remember, we're told Jesus will be great and that he's greater than all. So, so we must understand his birth must be greater. It must be unique. It must be unlike any other. So, so how is this going to happen? And again, Mary knew, based on the scripture that Gabriel used from Isaiah 7, that this must be accomplished through a virgin. So unlike Zacharias, who, whose questions were filled with unbelief, Mary is truly asking, how can this be? And she's asking through the lens of a wonder-filled faith. So before we get to Gabriel's response, let us put to rest the misconception about Mary's words here. She is in no way expressing a vow of perpetual virginity. We know this because she had other children who were not conceived by the Holy Spirit. Again, being the mother of Jesus is not about Mary. But it's about God fulfilling the promise of sending the Messiah. Just like in our salvation, listen to me, it's not about us. We're the benefactors of God calling us and saving us and redeeming us so that he might be glorified. That puts eternal salvation in perspective. And praise the Lord He has chosen to save us. But just like it's not about us, it's not about Mary. A perfect sacrifice to be provided for the remissions of sin. That's who Messiah is. That's who this Jesus is. And and Mary did and, and does not become deity nor play a part in the salvation process. She's a normal, everyday woman from a little town who was chosen by God to carry out a specific purpose in God's plan to send his son to walk upon this earth to carry out his will. So after Mary asked God, I mean, asked, uh, asked how, Gabriel answered in verses 35 through 37. Let's look at that very quickly. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And and behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. And if you don't have this highlighted or underlined or circled in your Bible, I would encourage you to do so in verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. The simplest of answers, Mary, you will remain a virgin through this miracle. The Holy Spirit will will work a miracle through the creation of God's Son in the womb. 
The Son of God has always existed, and now he would become God incarnate, God in human flesh. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary while God, through his Spirit, worked the miracle of the incarnation, just as the Spirit hovered over the waters as God created everything in the book of Genesis. This is why Jesus is called the Son of God, because this was a work of God, not of man. I want to encourage you to to not focus on the how, but instead focus on what happened. Think about it. God became flesh and dwelt among us. That should blow our minds this morning. At the same time, it should make perfect sense because that's how much God loves us. Gabriel then tells Mary of Elizabeth's pregnancy to set up his next statement. Mary, God's already accomplished the impossible many times. As a matter of fact, even just as six months ago when Elizabeth became pregnant, I can just picture Mary listening to Gabriel. She's already in awe. She's perplexed. She's thinking all these things. And now you drop the bomb that Elizabeth's pregnant? What? She can't have children? But Gabriel responds, yes, she is. So your question in verse 34, how is this going to happen? It's, it's really an insignificant question because God will work it out. God has it under control. So Mary, hide this in your heart, for nothing will be impossible with God. And this is such a a life-changing moment for all of us. Maybe this morning you're facing the moment of impossibility. And you're saying to yourself, man, God, I just don't know. Can I tell you, nothing is impossible with God. He will accomplish his will through his way. In just a moment, we're going to break that statement down, but but first let's jump to verse 38 to see how Mary accepts Gabriel's answer to her question and really this entire scenario. In verse 38, Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What kind of response? What kind of acceptance? A humble and mature response by a young girl from a little town who was chosen by God to give birth to his son, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the great I am, Jesus. Mary is in one of the greatest moments throughout all of history. She's truly living out what it means to be a bond slave of the Lord. She knew this moment, this request, this choosing was not about her, but about her God, about her King, about her Lord and his will and his way. So her response, may it be done according to what? Your word. (laughs) You know that song, Mary, did you know? Can I just give you a confident answer? Yes, she knew. How did she know? Because she knew God's word and she knew God's plan. So our text this morning has allowed us to see that this birth announcement of Christ, but it also allows us to understand the birth of Jesus offers you new life. 
In verse 37, Mary was given a promise that would sustain her throughout her pregnancy and, and for the rest of her life, for nothing will be impossible with God. And this morning, friends, this promise is for you and me as well. As a matter of fact, it's a promise that provides hope for a new life in Jesus. So let's start with the last two words, with God. Let's read your mind this morning. Everything starts with him. We are created by God to worship him. We are created by God. Uh, we are chosen by God to be redeemed through his son. We are drawn by God to receive him by his spirit. We are given new life by God by repenting of our sin, placing our faith in trust in Jesus. And we are used by God to carry out the good works he had prepared beforehand for us to walk in. With God, nothing, nothing, not one word of God shall be powerless, not one word will return void, not one thing in this world will be impossible for him. Think about it. God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. He spoke this world into existence. When, when the Lord showed up and spoke with Abraham, giving him the promise that Sarah would conceive a son, what happened? She conceived a son. When Gabriel showed up to share the good news of the Lord to Zacharias that Elizabeth would uh, conceive a child, guess what? She did. And when Mary visit, was visited by Gabriel to learn she would bear a son as a virgin, she did. There is not one thing, nothing that will be impossible with God. As a matter of fact, this word impossible doesn't even exist in the vocabulary of God. It's in ours because we're human. We're finite. But it doesn't exist in his. Think about it. He parted the Red Sea for Moses. He rescued Daniel from the lion's den. He was in the midst of the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent a great fish to swallow Jonah. He was with David as he defeated Goliath. He led the way for Elijah to defeat the prophets of Baal. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus forgave the woman at the well, that Cornelius and his entire house was being saved. Saul was being saved on the road to Damascus, and Paul was planting churches while being per persecuted all along the way. Listen this morning, with God, nothing, absolutely nothing will be impossible. The birth of Jesus offers us new life. And God's plan for us is to be reconciled to him. He desires all men to come to repentance. And this morning, you need to know nothing will be impossible with God. And that includes this, you coming to know him as Savior. What good news this morning. You know, many people, they've been led either by the enemy or by themselves, to believe that God will never love them nor forgive them. They, they fall and pray to the devil in his lies that, that they are unforgivable and they are unlovable. I am so glad to be able to share with you this morning. Jesus left heaven to walk on earth so he could be the one to rescue you and me from our sin and separation from him. And he was born to accomplish just that. So this morning, the question 
is this. How do you respond when the impossible becomes possible? I'm not asking how your spouse responds. I'm not asking how your parents respond or how your brother or sister respond or how your coworker responds or how the pastor has responded. I'm asking you this morning, how do you respond when the impossible becomes impossible? Because in God's word, it says nothing is impossible with him. Mary responded to her impossible situation with a humble and willing heart of a servant, trusting that the Lord would make this possible. A young girl, scared out of her mind, but knew that God would make this happen. My prayer this morning is for the one who is living a life with no hope, no joy, no peace. If that's you, Will you hear and respond to the good news of Gabriel announcing the birth of Jesus to Mary? Will you know that the birth of Jesus gives hope of forgiveness and sin and eternity spent with Jesus? Will you know the birth of Jesus provides joy, not based on our circumstances, no, but but instead based upon his secure salvation? And will you know this morning the birth of Jesus provides a peace that passes all understanding, allowing us to live by faith and not by sight. We can be confident in the one who saves and changes our lives forever. His name, his name is called Jesus. This morning, we're going to close with a live illustration of how people, just like you and me, discovered the one birth that offers new life. You're going to hear the testimony of how Jesus has forgiven them of their sin, how he has saved them, how he is transforming them according to his word. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And if you have come prepared to be baptized this morning, we want you to to join us on stage during that prayer. But we're going to celebrate this morning the good news of the gospel as those who have received it publicly identify with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through baptism. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, you are mighty and powerful. You chose in the right time to send your son Jesus to become God with us. So Lord, this morning we come before you asking for those who have heard for the first time that they are loved and they can be forgiven, that they will respond to you. For the believer this morning, God, let us hold fast to the truth that there is nothing impossible with you. Lord, we look forward to the day that we see you face to face, but until then, we ask that we will be lights in this dark world that provide the gospel 
of hope, joy, and peace through your name, Jesus. Amen.